Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that silver train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Real quick, I want to mention silvertownpodcast.com. We have tons of resources there. We have five Zooms a week. Two of them are through Rewired, which is Erica Spiegelman's recovery system. The other three are where folks just to get, they get together and talk about sobriety. I also want to mention the I Am Sober app, Boom, Rethink the Drink, This Naked Mind. These are sober communities where you can go in, connect with like-minded people, and find your way to recovery. And then real quick, I want to introduce this amazing guest that we have who swam himself sober. He has a documentary coming out in a couple of weeks, and he's here to tell us about himself. And he's just an amazing sober warrior, Ben Tuff. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, and thank you for having me, and and thank you for the introduction. And for all the listeners out there, my name is is Ben Tuff, and I would say that yes, I swam my way out of a bottle, but that was secondary to all the work. I have put in, in the rooms, outside the rooms with the big book, everything that I do to get sober. And for me, I have just been so blessed to find recovery. And as I tell everybody, I'm, I'm one of the most grateful alcoholics on this planet because I am so happy what sobriety has brought to me. And it took me getting to one of the lowest parts, actually the lowest part of my life to rebound from in order for me to realize how amazing my life could possibly be and also to to find purpose in my life. And, you know, I grew up as the youngest of six kids, very high, you know, I was really anxious as a kid. I always had a new malady very much a hypochondriac and I never knew how to deal with those emotions and with the debilitating causes of my mind. So once I was introduced to alcohol at age 16, I thought I'd found it and I was like, boom, like, this is awesome. Like I can seriously get sidetracked and, and I can numb my brain. I can numb my body. Nothing matters until the next day. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't like at that point I was like a heavy drinker, but you know, I partied hard on, on the weekends and, you know, come college, I, I think I had your, your average college experience, always found an excuse to party with someone on one day of the week and it was all justified you know it was something that was normal to me and and i never thought twice about my my drinking because i rationalized it by seeing others around me that were bigger drinkers than me like ah, i'm not as bad as him you know but what i didn't see is is that that disease was progressing and i didn't know it at the time but, you know, a few years after I graduated, I 
began to, especially by myself, use alcohol. So like whether it was on vacation or whether I was at home, I was sneaking beers, sneaking drinks, and just trying to kind of chase that numbness and that disassociation with reality. Because for me, reality was a very scary place. And I did not have the tools to deal with that reality. And I was a teacher. I have been a teacher up until about two or three months ago. And that's a high stress environment, especially as a boarding school teacher. And you have all these responsibilities. Oftentimes, I found myself just needing a way to turn it off. And I didn't know how to do it through exercise. I didn't know how to do it through meditation. I didn't know how to do it through talking things out. So I just went straight and straight to the liquor store. And, you know, I would say about 14 years ago, that's when it really started to progress for me. And I was drinking, uh, you know, pretty regularly every day especially during the school year, a half a pint of, of vodka and, you know, six or seven beers. And to me, that was totally normal. And there was nothing exceptional about it because your mind or my mind is so good at me that everything's fine. And this is totally normal. And it took me, you know, for that last year, I was just, I was a mess. I was a puddle and I was probably 160 pounds. My, my twin brother sent me a picture of me playing like a drinking game with my shirt off from the summer before I got sober. And he, he said, this was you. And it was like this emaciated person and, you know, 165 pounds. I'm, 210 right now so a, a lot of that has been kind of put back on by actually eating right and eating because i had nothing i, I didn't want to eat it eat i had no appetite so that last year i remember actually thinking to myself there was there's this one time i was coming back from the liquor store and i was stopping to take the the pint of vodka and my two vitamin waters that I sip down to the label and I, then I fill them up and then I throw out the vitamin water at a, in this one trash can on, on the way back down the road. They probably were like, who is this person who keeps drinking all this vodka? And in, in my mind, I was drinking, you know, one of those vitamin waters every night. It, I, my disease was so progressed that I did anything and everything possible to convince myself that my behavior was totally normal and that everyone around me was behaving that way. But, you know, come nine o'clock at night when I was just depressed and in tears and my wife was like, what is wrong with him? No, I went to a, I went to a therapist. Of course, I never told the therapist about my drinking because I'm not going to open myself up to that. And I also knew that if I talked about it, we'd realize that that was the root cause of 
all of this. And I was not ready to give up my privilege to drink alcohol. That would be the last thing that I would do. So it took me going to a hospital with a panic attack. And I was kind of in the triage room and the nurse kept going back and forth, kept back and forth, doing all these tests. It's 1130 in the, in the morning. And my wife is there with me because she drove me. And I, you know, I, I said, it's another panic attack. I just need some medicine. I need to figure this out. And she comes in and, and I said, what is taking so long? You know, I've been in this little side room for like two hours. And she was like, well, you're going to stay there until your blood alcohol gets below the legal limit. And so kind of my, my wife and I do like a side look, like that, that feeling when you know you've done something horribly wrong and in the pit of your stomach, it just like falls out from you. That was it. And I looked at my wife and. I was like, she was like, how is that possible? Like, you didn't even drink last night. And I was like, well, uh, I'm ready for rehab. Let's go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And obviously, she was quite emotional at the time and confused and didn't know what to do. And obviously, and it wasn't a huge surprise. You know, she, I'd been caught a couple times before. This was it though. And after I said, I want to go to rehab, she said, well, like, if you don't go to rehab, you, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose me. You're going to lose the kids, nothing. So you got to stop drinking. You got to figure that out. And I was like, let's go. I'm ready. You know, I was crying. I was ready to go. So I spent eight days in detox. So it took me eight days to detox. And I think they were kind of waiting for a bed to open up at Silver Hill Hospital where I was going in, in Connecticut. And I, I ended up going into Silver Hill. And after day one, I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it was go time. And it was straightforward. I was the one, the overachiever in, in rehab. And I, I kind of was that way in, in school too. I wrote all my papers to the day they were kind of given out because I enjoyed it. But to finally be working on myself and to actually be given the tools to take this all apart and also to understand why my chemistry was the way it was. I was diagnosed with bipolar and know a lot of... In, in sobriety, a lot of people will use mental health. They kind of go, they go side by side in my mind. And I just happened to find every excuse of my mental illness to celebrate or try to numb with alcohol. It was the perfect, it was the perfect thing for me. And in, in, in my, in, at least in, in, in my mind, and little did I know it was the absolute worst chemical that I could put in my body. And, you know, April 21st coming up, I'll celebrate 11 years and I am, I'm, I'm, it's, it's crazy. Like to, to think that it's come far and it was that long ago. Cause what was it about, about four weeks ago or three weeks ago, I ended up going back to Silver Hill because I was bringing one of my former students there for the 
for, for treatment. And I was like, no way that this was 11 years ago. It was like yesterday. But from that point forward, I have been just embracing my sobriety. And there, there are two schools for, for thought, and I'm kind of in the minority in that from the, other than the first maybe summer that I was in sobriety where I was kind of quiet about it and I was doing my 90 and 90 and, you know, I didn't, I, I kind of wanted to keep it hush hush because I was a little bit ashamed, but after I learned to be a human being again, and I learned to have feelings and I learned to have this really important thing called self-esteem. I was like, screw it. I don't care if everybody knows I'm an alcoholic. You know, they, they, they know I'm crazy already. So if I'm open about my alcoholism and, and my addiction, then at least if, if they, a friend or a, a family member has an issue, they'll know at least one person to go to, to get some help. And I want to help as many people as possible. And, and that's why the advent of this film is such an incredible opportunity for me because there's the potential to help so many people out there that are sick and suffering. So I, well, you mentioned your, your weight and your, your, you didn't mention your height. So you, you're kind of tall, aren't you? Yeah, I'm I'm just under six four. And once I started swimming, I was six three. I actually stretched out a little bit just because of the muscles and me broadening up and getting a little more structure to my whole spine and body. So I, I kind of grew an inch. So tell us, you got sober. You you're feeling inspired by sobriety. You want to start. You want to start telling people about sobriety. And so it was your sponsor that got you into swimming, correct? Yeah. So Ken, who was this, this Irish guy who I, I went to an early open meeting in town with in New Canaan, I always heard him talk and I was like, that guy's got a sweet accent. And he was often talking about his sobriety and doing things new and, and trying out triathlon. And I was like, this guy's just total badass. And I think that I can, I can speak his language. He was also no nonsense and he would kind of call people out on their BS when they needed to be. And he was to the point and, and someone the day before, when I asked them, I was like, okay, I have to find a sponsor tomorrow or else I'm like, I haven't ticked that box for, for rehab and I'm going to be in trouble. So how do I pick one? I feel like I'm going speed dating or something. And they said, just find the, 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 the guy who I was talking to said, just find the person who wasn't going to be the easiest, but is going to hold your feet to the fire. Who's going to move you through the steps, the fastest and most efficiently. And one that you think you might be able to relate to. And so I went up to Ken after that first meeting and, and I, I said, you know, will you be my sponsor? And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be your sponsor. And then I said, do you think I can learn how to swim? Like, like you did. And he was like, absolutely. Like the swimming is the easy part. It just takes time. It takes effort. 
And now that Ken and I are such good friends and, and we talk on a weekly basis, he always tells me how obnoxious I was the, the, the first week of those meetings because he, he, he judged me and he said, who is this guy who is just fresh in sobriety and, and, and keeps volunteering their ideas and, and talking and, you know, he's just way too happy for this. He's way too happy to, to be in recovery. And I always give Ken a hard time for that because he is that kind of hardened Irish soul that takes a little while to, to open up to. But literally, if anything comes up, Ken is always one phone call away or, or one text away. And, and it's amazing that 11 years later, we're both sober. He's doing Ironman races with like new knees and, and, and I'm doing my crazy swims and, and we meet up for swims or bikes and it's just a really u- unique and fun thing. So back before you got sober, your brother sent you the picture where you were 160 pounds. Were you ever an athlete before you started swimming? So I was, I was a goalie in, in, in soccer and I was a, I was a good goalie. I played a pretty high level of high school soccer and won some state championships in Georgia and, and, and enjoyed that, but it wasn't like a passion. It was just like, I did it because, you know, that's what I was supposed to do. You're supposed to play a high school sport and, and then come college, not surprisingly, I got to Colby college in, in Maine and. I, I realized that the soccer would get in the way of my partying. And I was like, yeah, no, soccer's not for me. I'm done with it. So then now in your sobriety, you're swimming and you bike and are you, do, are you doing the Ironmans too, where you run? No. So I, I did a lot of triathlon for about six or seven years. And, you know, I did half Ironman, I did mostly Olympic, I went to the national championships and I was pretty good, you know, top 10% in in the country. And at the same time, I, I found myself, I'm super competitive and I, I was getting to the starting lines of these races and I'd be looking at everybody's calves because that's where their number, their age group would be. And I'd be like, you're in my age group and I'm going to kick your butt and you're in my age group and I'm going to kick your butt. And it just, it, it, it defeated the purpose of it all. And I said, I need to do something just for me. And I, I knew that the, the swimming part was a much grander piece of who I was because when I was training for the swimming for triathlon, I disappeared in the water. And I was stuck in my head the whole time, but through all of my training, I've learned how to process really well and, and positively. So that's where I do my thinking and that's where I, I do my praying and, and, and I'm able to have this mindfulness in the water that is much easier for me to achieve than just kind of sitting down and trying to meditate. And 
at the same time, I like it when it's just Ben against Ben and I don't have to worry about it. I, I'm one of six kids. I have an identical twin brother. I mean, I, twins in general are just conditioned to try and beat one another at everything that they do. I don't think that's healthy. And yeah, a little bit of competitiveness is fun every now and then, but that's not who I am anymore anyway. Wow, that is so cool. I just imagine the first time you jumped in the water and you started swimming and it was really, it was really tough, wasn't it? When you first started? Well, I wouldn't really call it swimming. It was like a combination between breaststroke, side stroke, backstroke, and, and freestyle mixed with some injured frog. And it was just, I, I couldn't make it a full length of the swimming pool, just 25 yards. And it took, and, and I was, I'm pretty stubborn and I don't really like it when people tell me what to do. So I was reluctant when it came to taking a lesson. So I just figured it all out myself on my own, watching YouTube videos and kind of figuring it out. And I'm still not a great swimmer. People are going to look at, people will watch the movie and be like, oh, look how bad that catch is. Or look, you know, he has too many kicks or his breathing is all wrong. I, it doesn't matter to each their own. That's just so incredible, Ben. You started off not even being able to get, what is it, 25 yards? And then you're doing a mix of all these strokes. And now you swim over 20 miles at times. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was a was slow progression at first. And, and then after that, you know, after I got above like being able to do a two or three mile swim, it was much easier. And then it just is a matter of proper training and nutrition, figuring out, you know, how do you stay hydrated? How, what do you eat? What works for you? And mental preparation is probably the, the biggest piece. And I'm fortunate in that I had a lot of mental preparation in getting sober. And in the back of my mind, I can always tell myself, look at, look at how far you've come. Look at what you worked through. You can do this. You can do this. I just can't help but think about sobriety, you know, related to sobriety, because in the beginning, in those first days, it's a battle. We don't know how to process our feelings, our emotions. We're getting all these external thoughts and it's kind of the same way as you doing that, that first lap when you're swimming and then learning how to do two laps and three laps, one day, two days, three days. And in the beginning, I'm sure you had to do a lot of trying to think it through just to stay on top of the water. And eventually you're swimming and you're not even really thinking about the swimming. Now you're processing so many other different things. Right. And the best part is it, it, like, I remember when I first got sober and I tried to overthink everything. And it was like everything that came over me, like, okay, if I do this, then I do this. And I, like, but what if this happens? And then, and then that happens. Like, what if that happened? Like I was almost like to a paranoid point of view. And the same thing is with, with, with swimming. I found that if I tried to work on more than one thing at a time, then it was all over. Like, it's just too much. And instead I would just be like, okay, today we're just working on breathing and let's see if we can improve on that. Let's do it. Here we go. Wow, that is so cool. 
So you have all this sobriety and you decided to recover loudly and you're a teacher. And I was telling you earlier, I wish I would have had a teacher like you, a cool teacher. Actually, you help former students get sober now, correct? That, that's true. You know, I, I also had pretty close relationships to parents and they know my story. So a lot of them reach out to me when things get really tough. I also, I, I've, I've helped a lot of students who had parents with addiction, who struggled with addiction. And I would bring them to Alateen meetings and, or Al-Anon meetings and, and help support them in that way. And I, I think that by them knowing me and me being open about my addiction, they are able to see that if their parent gets the help that they need, that they'll be okay in the end. You know, like Mr. Tough made it like, and, and he's okay. So, so, you know, my mom and dad will all support them and, and they'll be okay in the end. And this isn't like a horrible thing. So these kids that you helped, they must've somewhere prior to this known that you got sober. So here they are, yeah. they get out of high school, they go to college. All of a sudden they find themselves in desperation and they know that they can call you. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and, and. I've done a pretty good job of staying up with all my past, with all my past students and where they're at and what they're doing. And it is inevitable that some of them are going to be a part of this club and they're going to have to learn how to deal with it. <laughs> that is so cool. To me, you're a hero two ways. You're a teacher and now you're helping these kids get sober and get out of that, what I call the matrix, where it just sucks us in and, you know, where we just want to hide everything. Tell us, getting into the movie, how did, how did all that come about, doing the documentary? Yeah, so it was about a year and a half ago. My brother was at a convention, and, and my twin brother's also sober, and I had the privilege of helping him get, his, get the help that he needed, and it was, it was very cool and brought us much closer together than we were as as twins and he met a, a filmmaker named matt corliss at a convention or some sort of get together down in like south carolina and i was dra driving across the everglades at the time because i was i was working the admissions at at the school i was at and he said, Ben, I've got the best idea. I just met this director. His name is Matt. He just did that that film, The Social Dilemma, with a bunch of his buddies. He he worked on Free Solo. He he did Chasing Corals. He's done like all these awesome movies. And I told him about your swims and he thought it was awesome. So I was like, okay, like whatever. I get it. This is, you know, that's great. I didn't think anything would come of it, but then Matt called me like 10 minutes later and he wanted to get my story. So I ended up talking to him almost the whole way from where were we? We were in like somewhere on the East coast of Florida. We were like right in the middle of the Everglades. And he asked me about everything about my story and, and swimming. And he, at the end, he said, 
Ben, this isn't a story about long distance swimming and doing a crazy swim. That's just part of it. This is a sw- this is a story about recovery, and we're going to do this. It was just a few months later that he flew up to Vermont, and we filmed the trailer to raise some money to to make the film. And I was ready to do my swim from Providence, Rhode Island, to Jamestown, which is all of Narragansett Bay. And he's he said this is going to be epic. So. I'll be up there for that, and and let's do it. Wow, that's a long swim. How long is that? It's, it took me f- about 15 hours. How many miles is that? So that's just under 25 miles. Just under 25 miles you swam. Just under 25 miles. And when you began, you could hardly even do a, a lap. And that is just incredible to me. Yeah. So, You've actually stopped teaching now, and you're doing this full-time. Tell us about that. Well, I'm always teaching, I think. It's so hard for me to step away from that. It's just a little less formal now. And I've always felt at home with with students and with high schoolers and, and, and middle schoolers because I found that they are the most even though they in they get a label of being very judgmental but in the end they don't care like they could care less that i am a recovering alcoholic they they don't hold that stigma so closely as their parents do and i can just talk to them openly and be who I am and, and not have to worry about anything. And that to me is genuine. And, and when you have a genuine connection, then that leads to a really positive thing. And my goal is that when the time comes, they're going to need someone to talk to about this. And I can kind of add my name to the, the list of people that they can contact along the way. So I have, I ha, I have stopped teaching formally and now I'm doing a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews and the movie is set to be done in about three weeks. And then I will be kind of traveling North America to various film festivals to promote the film and and talk about it, do question and answers. And I'm also going to be starting in two weeks, I think. I go down to Georgia to go speak at some schools, and I'm actually really excited. I'm going down to University of Georgia, and I'm going to be talking to some fraternities about addiction. And it's kind of hard to get into a fraternity, especially like a pretty hardcore fraternity to to talk about these kind of things but they have to it's so important that they hear this message wow what a progression ben from sneaking booze and alcohol you getting to the emergency room and right away i need a rehab then you just you got full of life and you just yeah man sobriety has changed your life hasn't it oh yeah 
I mean, transformed it. Now I can finally live before I couldn't. And it just didn't happen overnight. I'm sure there's been many struggles as you've gone on too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that the hardest thing talking about struggles, and I was talking to this with one of my college friends who's now in sobriety and, and has her own podcast, Kim Betts Kearns. And she wrote a book recently about getting sober and she struggles with it too. And, and that's the social part. I, I think that it's much more difficult to be sober in certain areas of the world and still have a, you know, vibrant social life in a way. Like, yeah, I, you, I have my sober network, but st I'm still trying to figure out who my good friends are and who were just friends because I was a drinker back then and, and trying to decipher what's genuine and what's not genuine. And I, I always remind myself that it's, you know, quality over quantity. My dad always said that you should just find your key friends. And it's, it, it's great because these swims are, are just, it's reassuring for me because people like Jake and, and my, you know, other good friend, David and, and Nathan, they come to every single one of my swims. And they are there and it's so tireless. They do anything that's asked of them. And they're my like go-to support team. They're keeping me alive while, while I'm out there. And if that's not dedication for friendship, I don't know what is. Yeah. And Jake is out there on a paddleboard right beside you, isn't he? And, and he provides so much comic relief for me the whole time. Whenever I need to be lifted up, he'll lift me up. And you have a lot of support out there. You told me you have other boats and the Coast Guard when you're swimming these big swims. Yeah. So the, the Coast Guard's great and, and they'll cross us over any shipping channel. And if we ever have any trouble with fishing boats getting too close to us, we just give them a call on the radio and, and they'll tell them to get out of the way. And then I will have at least uh, one of my, my friends. I, I, he's actually a former student of mine. He's now a, a good friend. He captains the boat that is my support boat with everybody on it and, you know, keeps me safe. And he keeps a far distance away. And then the paddleboarder is closer, closer to me. So that area that you swim in, if I'm not mistaken, there's great whites up there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my last swim, it was actually okay. Because it was too warm for, for great whites. When I got in at Providence all the way down the bay, there, you know, you might have some great whites every now and then that will pass through there, but it's very rare. Uh, but my, the swim before that from Block Island to Jamestown was a doozy. And I ended up leaving the beach with hundreds of seals. And this was one of the biggest feeding and breeding grounds for the great white shark in, in the month of August. And, you know, the O-Search, which is a, a nonprofit, they, they ping 
these sharks so you can see which ones are are close to Block Island and constantly you see these things pinging off of it and we actually came across two separate sharks big sharks that were about 50 feet below us on the on the sonar because there's they're the only ones bigger than 15 feet in in that water and that was it so I'm glad they didn't tell me that. I was going to say, where's your mind at when you're thinking, I mean, da 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 you know, the Jaws theme playing. Does that play through your mind ever? But it's it's funny because I used to be deathly afraid of open water and getting eaten by a, a shark or, or what have you. I mean, I'm constantly getting stung by jellyfish on these swims. So that's just something that I'm used to. And... When it comes to sharks, I found this peace of mind in sobriety that transcends everything that I do. And that includes crazy swims like this. Like, I know that I'm going on these swims and this is their world. This is their environment. So if they want to make a snack of me, that's my fault. <laughs> it's not theirs. But the chances of that happening with everything going on. And I, I had a shark leash on my ankle, which was about three feet long of, oh, it has a wire tail. It's about this thick and it puts off an electric pulse every about six seconds and electrocutes the water around you. That is proven to keep great whites in particular away. So I did have that peace of mind, but I didn't really think about it. And that's just amazing because it gets back to sobriety. Sobriety has given you this clarity to to think this all through, given you the peace of mind. That is just so incredible. I'm just, I'm so honored that you came on Sobertown Podcast to, to share all this with us. And that, is there anything that you would like to tell the beginner, somebody that's just getting sober, any advice you'd like to give to them? You know, my, my advice to everybody. So I work a lot with people in sobriety who kind of reached a wall and, you know, like I, I kind of coach them through that, that time where, you know, they, they've sponsored a lot of people and they've done a lot for, for others. But the one thing that they've forgotten is to do something for themselves. and. I've been very fortunate in that I just kind of lucked into it because I was looking for something to do to occupy some of my time. And that was swimming. And at the same time, it's also nice. I, I've been working with an environmental organization called Clean Ocean Access and have raised over a quarter of a million dollars for them and their programs to keep the waters of Rhode Island safe and clean and the beaches clean. And, and that's great. But a lot of times in, in sobriety, I think when people come to me with, with problems either early on or late, they're missing something in their lives. And for me, it's, it, it often is purpose. And they know what that purpose could be. They're just afraid to try something new. And if you go through life especially a life of sobriety, sobriety, afraid of trying something new, then you are kind of 
con- you're conditioning yourself and making it so that there was only one way forward and it's a pretty mundane existence. And if you create accountability through whatever action or whatever new thing you want to do, then that's even a, 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 another feather in your cap because suddenly not only is it purposeful for you, but it's purposeful for others around you and you can't back out. And, and, and that's why some people who I've sponsored are like, I just want to run for the first time. I want to do a 5k. And the first thing I do is I say, okay, I, I judge how in or out of shape they are and say, okay, let's look at these races five weeks from now. You're signing up for one of them. Do it now. Like we're going, we're going on the site. We're going to pay the 30 bucks for the t-shirt and the sign up. Let's go. And it's a lot harder to back out of that than it is to just an idea of, of doing something. And I, I, I think that patience is just so important. So many people in these wor- in this world are in such a hurry to, to get things done. And I've had to remind myself this because I, I'm out of a job. I, I don't really have a source of income and it all is dependent upon this movie coming out. And it's out of my hands and it's the, the composers making the score. It's the editor, it's the producer. And I'm like twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, come on, let's just make this done. But I have to remind myself that, you know, good things will come to those who, who wait, be patient and don't worry. about. And you're a huge inspiration to them because they can see the number one, you, you went into a rehab and got sober. And then you've literally recreated Ben Tuff. Yeah. And some, so, someone said, you're Ben Tuff 2.0. And I was like, oh, I like that. Right. I looked up the definition of, of tough. And there, it is a porous stone. But then there's another definition that talks about how being called tough, it, T-U-F-F, it, it's a compliment. Right. Right. And and it's really, really cool. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's been tough. So I don't even know if we've mentioned the name of your documentary and we, we need to get your, the name of the documentary. So the name of my documentary is swim tough, how I swam my way out of a bottle. And then we're going to put the links to the trailer in the blurb when we put your podcast up so people can get in there and see it. And then. We'll try to, maybe once the, the documentary comes out, maybe we can do a follow-up or something and get the word out that the documentary is out there. Yeah, and, and, and the, the really cool thing about that is that I'm going to be all over the country showing the film, and it's like five bucks to go and see a film at a film festival, but they're everywhere now, and I'm not going to be at all the film festivals, but I'll be at a smattering of 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 film festivals all over the place and 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 that can be a good way to get a sneak peek of it before it kind of hopefully goes a little bit bigger to a netflix or amazon or what have you and i got you connected with ted perkins he's amazing and he loves to do the movies that's what he does now he (laughs) listened to movies 
and got sober doing that. And you guys have communicated a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah. And and I had the privilege of going on his podcast and and that's been that's been amazing. And again, I'm so like new to this. Like I can't even name five actors out there. Like I don't know about movies. I don't know about like Hollywood. I don't know about the process. And you it's so nice to have a, a, a sober companion like Ted, who's so knowledgeable about this field, who's willing to say, yeah, 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 ask me anything. I'll help with anything. It's huge. Yeah, he's just amazing. And he's a Hollywood executive screenwriter, and he knows his stuff when it comes around movies. And then, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people mentioning, because a lot of these sober communities, they're divided. You know, they just have their community. They don't want to bring in an outside community. So hopefully one day we can get all these communities come together and have like this big Woodstock type sober meetup. How badass would that be, right? I love it. That's totally up, totally up my alley. You know, and then, then the media can get out there and people can talk about how cool it is to be sober. And while we're at it, that's what you try to convey to your students, right? That it's cool to be sober. Totally, totally. And and that it's okay to be happy and have a normal life being sober, because that's what I feared most growing up was, you know, I was surrounded by drinking and drinkers, and I didn't think it was going to be possible for me to have a like fun time at a party or fun time at anywhere without alcohol. That is so cool. So we have Ben Tough with the documentary coming out in about three weeks, Swim Tough. Everybody get out there, check out the trailer. We'll put the link up and it's also on YouTube. Just, just type in Swim Tough and you'll find Ben. And there's a couple, there's a couple trailers on there about this documentary too. So Ben, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Sobertown and honoring us with your presence. Appreciate you. No, thank you for taking the time. It's been awesome. And I just want to thank all the listeners out there and everybody that supports Sobertown Podcast. Thank you very much, and we will see you later.